According to Tech Radar, one in six American homes contains at least one smart speaker. What changes has this new technology brought about for how both kids and parents interact with music? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about how people are interacting with music, including making it, because of new technology. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Vic Zaria of Kids Bop. Vic, welcome to the future of what. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first, just for any listeners who may not be 100% familiar, will you just tell us what Kids Bop is? Sure. Kids Bop is today's biggest hits sung by kids for kids. And we have been around for 18 years, almost 19 years now. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Now, how long have you been the president of Kids Bop? I've been running Kids Bop since 2013. I'm not a big title person, but I think I've been officially president for a few years. Okay, cool. Excellent. And I've been here since the beginning, since we founded it. Right. Which I will just say was a genius move because as a parent, I think it's amazing. I think kids' music is something that parents really need and don't know they need it until it's like practically too late. Completely agree. As soon as you have that baby and you're like, why won't you go to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had, I was, I was talking to my team yesterday and we had all these various bloggers and Instagram people that, you know, they may not have liked Kids Bob before they had children, but all of a sudden when they have children, that's all they listen to. So exactly, your perspective can change dramatically when you have kids. Oh, in just a matter of moments. It's, it's kind of amazing. Exactly. So I wanted to talk to you today. We're talking about kids' music in general on this episode, but I also wanted to talk to you because I thought you'd be a good person. You tend to be pretty plugged in to industry trends. And one of the things I think is really interesting in 2019 is kids' music and smart speakers. Absolutely. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. First of all, when people say kids, I think they're talking about a few different things. And, and maybe, you know, because I'm in this area, I think about it a little more than most, but there are probably three or even four big groupings of kids, right? There's under four kind of like really baby kids. Then there's that like four to eight, four to nine-year-old when they're in preschool and early elementary school. And then there's like that tween thing. And I think people already think of those things the same. And I think each of those groups will have different usage patterns. You know, as things develop, people listen to music differently because of who and what they are. But smart speakers are, have exploded for us for not only for everyone, but particularly for kids' music. And they've been dramatic in the last two years. The usage has been dramatic. Amazon is a tremendous account for kids bop and for frankly all kids music in general. We have a bunch of preschool artists and children's artists that we work with. I think the penetration though of Alexa and Echo is 25 or even 30% of the country. So there's still a lot of room to grow, but it's very different when you give a child the power to ask for what he or she wants versus when an adult tells 
a child what they want. Absolutely. Get a very different result. Yes. So I, I think that it's great, you know, both with, I'll also bring up YouTube and just kind of stepping back, like the biggest things for kids are probably YouTube and these smart speakers are just tremendous because they let the kids choose. And you could say that all of the streaming services and CDs also let children choose, but the interfaces are way more complicated. Right. So, you know, the simplicity of a smart speaker is that a kid will just ask for what they want. Mm-hmm. And they often ask for kids bop, not surprisingly. Yeah. So it's great. I mean, you're really onto something with the different age groups because I think four and under sort of the infant years. Right. That's when the parents are still choosing the music. Right. So you get really different usage patterns. I remember the day my son said, Alexa, play Ace of Spades. Okay. It was like my proudest moment as a parent. <laughs> I was just please, like, please play Ace ah, of Spades. Yeah. My, all right. I love that. My motorhead. <laughs> yes. Great. Fantastic. Great. That was literally. Kidbot doesn't do that one, but I, know, I, I, I karaoke know. that one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that was worth everything. Like all the pain and, and difficulty of having a child was worth it in that moment. <laughs> but you're totally right. It's like as soon as they get to a certain age, they are in control. And it's also kind of nice for parents because parents are like, great, you're going to go play that music and I'm going to go over here absolutely. and do this other thing. And you can listen to that. Well, absolutely. There's so many different thoughts about how kids usage is. You know, I think there's within the within the preschool or even within the kids up world, I think there is often an idea that kids music needs to be good for you. Right. Right. So there's a sort of eat your vegetables sort totally. of mentality. Yeah. But that's not what music is about. Music is about fun. Right. And so on a bias basis, kids bop is fun, right? And so I think we get people ask for it a lot. Plus there'll be various children's artists without being specific. There are some that are more fun than others and and kids will naturally go to that. Absolutely. And I also think that pop music is by definition the most popular music. So it's not surprising that kids and families will ask for songs that are popular. Right. So your child asking for Ace of Spades is, is unusual, right? In particular, your family. And, you know, maybe my family, they'll ask for something specific, but many people ask for Thank You Next mm. or a very, com- you know, or Havana. Right. Right. Because it's so ubiquitous and so in the environment of the universe. Right. Yeah. And so that also is a reason that. We do well, and I think that's just also a reason that, like, that's where kids kind of gravitate, because it's what they know. Yeah. Right? They know Disney movies. They know Kids Bob. They know Trolls. They're, they're just brands that you see that are out there. Greatest Showman's been incredibly popular with kids. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's good, right? Yeah. So these things come up. Every now and then you have these trends that kind of come along. They come along. They become mass pop sensations, and, you know, and then kids are asking for them. But by definition, kids are going to ask for top 40 songs or the popular Spotify songs or the popular just or whatever they see in commercials. And these are the songs they know. How does Kids Bop stay on top of that? Because it seems like you'd have to be recording a lot of songs in order to stay on top of the trend. So we're in many countries now. So this applies. Every country is a little bit different. But what we do is we record mostly everything that is popular or that we think is going to be popular. So there is music that we record that we don't release because it maybe never attains a certain level of success. Sure. And the other thing that is interesting for us, it used to be up to until very recently, you could rely on kind of a top 40 radio chart and you could generally would know what was going to be popular. And the real art in that was knowing when something was just beginning 
Mm. whether or not yeah. it was going to be successful. Cause it's not like you can just say, Oh, I want to have a song. And then the next day you have the song. Right. Right. You still have to prepare it, right. record it, right. produce it. There, there's work to be done. You know, it takes, you know, a few months to record most songs, you know, in an efficient and, you know, good way. But what we do now is we're just, we're just kind of monitoring everything. We're out there. We're looking at all the streaming services charts. We're looking at what is happening in pop culture. We're looking at the radio chart, which is still, pretty good for us, frankly. You know, a lot of things that are popular on some of the streaming services, the words are just inappropriate. We can't do so many hip-hop artists that, you know, it just doesn't work for us. We're going to have to kind of steer away from that. And I think those, some services really are heavily towards that and some aren't. Mm -hmm. Now, what about SiriusXM? Because I know you guys have a Kids Bop channel, but yet again, that's another place where possibly parents might have to be involved in like actually turning it on or whatever. <laughs> do you have Sirius in your car? I do not. No. <laughs> as, you, <laughs> as you know, when your your children get in the car and they ask you to turn on the radio, now I put on Alt Nation, right? And my daughter is like, play Kids Bop <laughs> or play Hits, she'll say to me a lot. Uh-huh. So yes, I guess I need to press that button, but there's heavy pressure. There's heavy pressure. I yeah, gotcha. Coming out of the backseat to change the channel. Yeah. It's usually a negotiation, right? I just force my child to listen to my podcast in the car all the time. So, you really? No, wow, that's you're either a better parent or a hundred percent lying. Know. Although I will tell you that we did listen to my podcast in the car on Sunday, which for the first time, which was really funny because he asked to listen to it. So that was funny. Which episode? The most recent one about A and R. I think I listened to that. I listened to a few in preparation. Oh, I'd listened to a few before, but I listened to a few others. Anyway, anyway. back to the other thing about the radio. So <laughs> Sirius is great because we have basically a radio channel that is playing today's top hits. It's like, but it's for kids. So it's relatively contemporary. We broaden out and go back and play songs that are a little older. But I think another thing that you, you realize when you have kids is that their frame of reference is very short. So, you know, a, ch- a seven-year-old's child does not really remember anything that's older than two or three years old. So you may say, oh, I remember this great song from 2013, right? There were two. Right. Right. So it has to be very current. I think for kids. And then, you know, some songs do cut through and there are certain songs like Uptown Funk or like Shake It Off or they're just, or his classic songs from the nineties that right. just still people like all star, like people still know. Right. 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 You know, we always laugh about it. We're like the song's three years old. I guess it's old. Yeah. It's out. Right? It's not really, but if right. we have a live show and we have a live tour and within the live show, we do play songs that are, you know, I probably don't go back past five years, but we do play certain songs that we know are good crowd pleasers at all time. Right. You know, you're not the most, most current, but still lots of current ones. So the thing that is exploding in my house right now is songs that may or may not be in Fortnite. Uh-huh. Okay. Which my son's not allowed to play it, but it's like all they talk about at school is, you know, Fortnite and songs and dancing. He's always coming home with a new dance move from Fortnite, which he's never seen. That's awesome. That's Isn't that great, by the way? How great that you have, like, everyone dancing. Yeah. Again, I think dance is really popular Yeah. now. And Fortnite, you know, the floss, right? Everyone knows floss or yes. Orange Justice or... Yeah. I can't do any of them. No. That's a relatively <laughs> new thing, I believe. The, uh, Fortnite is not new, but the music in Fortnite, I think Marshmallow did something really big. Yeah. So that might be an example where like, that might make a song more relevant to us. But we as adults aren't always aware of what's going on. So like my team and, and I, and we're always like kind of listening and keeping our ear to the ground. Just, you know, we talk to kids, we talk to the kids who work for us at Kids Bop, we talk to our own children, you know, just constantly being aware 
of things. We did a study last year. You might find this interesting. We did a 25,000 person quantitative study, and then we did a qualitative component to it where we just went out and it's pretty much the exhaustive study on kids and family music listening. It's private. We, we use it. We didn't publish it, but we worked with a third party to do it. And we learned really interesting things about how kids are consuming music, which is why I was excited to talk to you because not only are they using smart speakers and not only are they you know, YouTube is being so prevalent for them, but like a lot of kids are like, they'll say the TV is the way they listen to music, which might surprise you. Mm. Where about a third, actually one in three people said they use the TV for music. Wow. So to me, I was really surprised by that. It means they're watching YouTube or they're using Spotify or they're using a like an app on a smart TV. Oh yeah. And I think smart TVs are going to be, and I could be wrong here, but I think smart TVs are going to be the next frontier for us, particularly with all the voice activated smart TVs. Yeah. Where the remotes for like the Samsung or for these these boxes, you can speak into them. Just like kids speak into the smart speaker, right? So it's it's an extension of voice. Yeah. Right. And I think it's going to be really interesting. We are in the process of making sure our stuff is available like every which way from Sunday. Yeah. On these TVs, because it's not really complete because no one's paying attention to it. And we're trying to make sure our stuff is up. There's a few services actually that are doing it. It's like Stingray. There's one called Excite. I think Music Choice also does it, plus YouTube. And you know, everyone's going to have an app on these TVs. But I think it's a really interesting thing to see what happens when... Like You don't even need to go into an app. You just turn the TV on and you pick it up and you say something. Mm-hmm. What's yes. it going to play? Right. Right? You know, similar to the Alexa. Exactly. Like, what's it going to play? Or the Google Home, like... It's like a whole new world of metadata fun, you know, for us to figure out how to play with. Totally. And I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, as adults, we never would think about in a million years. Right. If you're not, you know, actively involved in in kids' music is that these are all things that work for people who can't spell. Or read. Or read. Exactly. Right. Like they can't even read, but they can still make these things happen. Well, that's another big thing. Like we we always chat about that. We say our core audience can't read. <laughs> Right. Like six year olds can't read. So, you know, you'll make it's interesting, right? Because, you know, when you like when you're trying to advertise to families or you're so sound and music still works, but they know how to do things. They're smart and they know brands, they know icons, they know, but they don't know how to read or spell or do any of those things. But they can speak. Although I will tell you, and this is really interesting to me, like I don't know how well the smart speakers are at understanding kids compared to adults. Right. I think they're way better because it's an AI and it gets smarter and smarter. But like kids speak differently, right? They may have, you know, they just may have different pronunciations for words or like you said, they don't they won't read so they don't know how to say something. So I can't even imagine the back end of all the different utterances that they have the data on what people are saying. Yeah. Kids and adults, right? Yeah. So no, it's, it, amazing. it's interesting, you know, and also there's like voices or like when you're little, your voice may not be that strong or it may be higher pitched. Right. And I found that early on that the smart speakers, men and women, were not recognized as well, frankly. Sure. They would all be different. Yeah. And so we'll see. We'll see. But it's getting, it learns really fast. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident that there'll be a race to that too, right? Like Amazon may have great tech and who knows, you know, Samsung may have great tech too, or they may be a year behind or who knows what that'll mean for surfacing good music. Absolutely. 
I have a question that's just sort of tangentially related to this because based on something you said earlier, you know, we were talking about how long it takes to record a song and, you know, you need some months to get it together, go into a studio and produce it and, you know, mix it and do all the things you do with it. I just think for our industry as a whole, you know, we have a consumer base that literally wants something new tomorrow. Like they listen to something today and they're like, that's fine. That's great. And then they want something new tomorrow. Right. And then we have the actual artistry of creating music. Right. Which is not, you can't just do it in a day. Right. You have to take some time. So what do you just think like in general, like sort of philosophically, like how do you feel about that? So if we need to record a song very, very quickly, we could. It's more about organizing our lives and making sure the kids kind of, it's a scheduling thing as much as it is anything. And also, you know, if you have to do one thing fast and well, you could do one thing. But if you have to do, you know, 15 things, then you're going to suffer. So that's why we kind of take a reasonable amount of time to do it. But in terms of this on-demand, like I want it now culture, I think with kids, it's not as big of a thing to me. Like they don't even know when a song is first happening, you know, only a very small group of people may be aware of it. And then, you know, it kind of rises kind of into the atmosphere and or a big star will release some music. They'll just drop it right away and it's huge everywhere. But then they have staying power and they'll be around for a while. So there is time. You know, time is, it's both immediate, but you also have time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I have to think about this a little bit more to see how I feel about it. I don't feel a pressure. What I feel a pressure is, is to get things to align, right? Like in the sense that you want to have, I'll put music out. For Kids Bop, since we cover the biggest songs, we want to put music out when the song is at its peak. We want to make a music video that's really good, right? We want it to align around other efforts that we have. And getting all those things right can be you know, tough because maybe we can make the song in a week, but we can't make the video that quickly. Right. Or maybe, you know, also you can't predict when songs are going to meet their peak popularity. You can try. And, and every now and then it aligns and it's awesome. When that happens, everything's great. That's fantastic for us, and they become like classics. But you know, sometimes they're just great songs that are part of the catalog, right? Totally. And the nice part of about having a big catalog is that you never know when an older song is going to come back into vogue because that does happen quite a bit. That does happen, but most it's pretty current because of the nature of the audience for for kids. Although there have been some great movies, like Trolls movie, but they brought back. Was there a Lionel Richie song? There, right. was, there was a whole bunch of songs in there that they brought back. So it's kind of cool. And there's been a bunch of movies that bring back classic songs. But I generally find that those can be popular, but the pop stuff is still the most popular. Yeah. Or original things written for those movies, right? Like I could start singing like the Moana songs or you know, these type of songs, right? <laughs> right? I won't. I'm not, I almost broke into the song there. But, you know, those <laughs> things can become popular too because those are like original. Right. Right, absolutely. I'm going to avoid singing. I think I'm going to stick to my name. We'll both, we'll both not sing. It'll be good. <laughs> awesome. Well, Vic Zariah of Kids Bop, it was so nice to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with me on The Future of What. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.
That was November Man by Filthy Friends. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. Also check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's Potty Mouth. It's called Girl Germs and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to singer-songwriter Lori Henriquez. Thank you so much, Lori, for being with us on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. So we are talking today about kids' music because you are a musician who does kids' music. And I'm interested. I think it's a very interesting thing for people to be doing these days, partially because it's incredibly wildly popular with the new smart speakers that people have in their homes. Ah, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Yes. As a parent of a child who was small not that long ago, it's definitely been something that I've been reading a lot about that, you know, people are sort of desperate for music for their kids. Yeah. And they have this Alexa or Echo or whatever it Uh is device, and they say, computer, play a lullaby, like play something, make this child go to sleep. And as a result, the kids' music has been incredibly popular on smart speakers. I really should follow up on that. (laughs) I'm so analog that I don't even think about that. I don't have one of those yet. Oh my gosh. How long have you been doing this for to start off? Let's see. My first album of original songs came out in 2011. But actually before that, in 2008, I put out an album of classical piano. So this is my history. I studied classical piano. I studied lots of things. I loved everything. I wanted to roll through life like a marble. So I studied literature and writing and French and music and dabbled in science and then got a teaching degree and taught high school English and then went back and finally committed to graduate school in classical piano. So when I started writing music for children, I shortly thereafter got sort of into a writer's block because I got pregnant and I was really just nesting. And so at the time, I got the idea to go back to practicing classical music 
This is getting somewhere. And my child was not a good sleeper. I needed Alexa. But I also found I had bought many, quote, lullaby albums which were classical, which had sudden crescendos. <gasps> yes, I know, right? They, That's it's they're terrible. They That's not exactly lullabies. right. They are not lullabies. It's like do 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 bum bum bum, and the child's like ah. Yeah. So I, know. I actually was having issues with helping him sleep, having issues with my own writer's block, and someone gave me the idea at the time to practice simple classical music again, just something that would be relaxing, and maybe that would help me loosen up my writer's block. So. I had been a piano teacher. This is what I did after I did that graduate work in piano for many years. I was kind of a really, like, really into it, loved it. I, I still would do it one day again, but it's not super compatible with parenting because you're working in the afternoons when kids are home. So I started playing and I could only play the first hour of my little person's sleep. Otherwise, I would wake him up because we had this tiny house and a very big piano and it was just too loud for him. So I would play really softly for about that first hour of sleep. And as I kept doing this, I started realizing, wait a minute, I should record these with no crescendos, but still with phrasing, breath, but no crescendo. So I started compiling which pieces would be best for that. And it was, you know, all the things I've been teaching all these years. And I then went on the hunt for a recording studio with a really good piano that could be played very softly. Mm. So I was living in Los Angeles at the time and my mom was here. I had come from here and I couldn't find a studio there that was a good distance, compatible, affordable. And then I didn't have a good babysitter. It was, it just wasn't downriver in LA. And my mom said, look around here and I'll take care of Leo. So I found Randy Porter local jazz pianist in town who has a recording studio with the most wonderful Steinway I've ever played. And that's been the relationship that has helped me make all of my albums. And it was the hunt for the beautiful, easy to play grand piano. And I did record classical piano pieces very softly. It's called Lullaby Piano. Wow. And that came out in 2008 to answer your question. <laughs> and yeah. then, then since then, I put out several more albums of not classical work, but original songs. Right. But specifically with kids as a target audience. Yes, totally. Totally. These classical pieces, I mean, it was a little bit like, I, I don't know that my classical compatriots would be super excited about me playing one movement from a Mozart sonata that was the quiet movement. It's not really done in classical music. But I have been met with kindness and generosity. I mean, it, it's, it was an interesting new thing to do. It is soft. Your child will not wake up when you play the CD. I've had many lovely emails from strangers. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I had this random wonderful thing that one of the pieces that I recorded was not found anywhere else because no one records these simple pieces. Mm. And so Conan O'Brien needed a recording of this Armenian beautiful piece by Ketchaturian. And they found me and they put it on the show and they paid me and it was amazing. And that oh, was that's great. Yeah. That's serendipity. That's great. Now, the last time you and I talked, we talked about how sometimes your most popular thing is not the thing you intended it to be. <laughs> so tell us about your most popular song. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So let me just give a tiny bit of background by saying the reason that I love writing for children is that I get to follow my curiosity. So it's a niche in a niche. Already kids' music is a niche, but since I am interested in things like, for example, when I learned that our Adams 
came from the stars. That just stopped me in my tracks. I mean, it takes your breath away, really. And so that became a song. And then I got very interested in Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle. And then that became a song. And so I've written sort of very, I don't know, songs that are unusual in the sense that maybe they describe a scientific idea, but it's still trying to be very fun. It's not supposed to be didactic. So <laughs> that's sort of my background. And then I have this person who's now six. When she was about three, I used to be putting her to bed by asking her like, oh, what would you like me to rhyme with for your bedtime song? And of course, eventually she thought of the word poop. And then once I had a particularly successful poop song one night, I don't even remember what it was. She's very distressed that we don't know that one song. Like we needed to have Alexa recording everything, you know, which we don't even have her. So anyway... It was like the continual search for the holy poop song. Like, could I please do it the next night so that we could find? So every night asking to rhyme with poop. So finally, I sat down at the piano one morning and thought, maybe there's a song in this. I don't know. I mean, let's see where it goes. And then that has since become the most popular song on the station that does play my music. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of not surprising because remember that book, Everybody Poops? Like yes. that was a huge hit in children's literature. We have read it many, many, many times. <laughs> just it's feel true. like, you know, if you want to make money with dealing with kids, just anything with poop and you're... It is just funny. I, I You're right. Just funny. And this My song is not even like I tend to like sneak in education about Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle or Adams. <laughs> this is not actually anything about the function of poop. It's really just about the word being funny. It is. It is. So your most recent album is called Legion of Peace, Songs Inspired by Nobel Laureates, which, you know, I was going to mention that I have listened to your Heisenberg song, and I'm very impressed with the rhyming in that. Oh, thanks. Because that's that's hard. <laughs> There's some hard names in there. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the most fun song in the writing process. I totally remember when it was. I often think of the babysitter who was hanging out with my child at the time and feel like, oh my goodness, I've got to write that person a thank you letter. <laughs> It's, it's the weird thing of kids inspiring this, but at the same time, you have to have a little time to right, work on it. That, I could not have been writing that song with parenting happening at the same time. But <laughs> uh, thank you. So what was the question again? What inspired you? I mean, obviously, Nobel laureates, but which ones and how did that <sighs> come about? Yes. Wow. This has been the most meaningful work I have ever done. The seed was planted because several years ago, I got interested in, well, this is because of my child, the same child who inspired the poop song. She was very fascinated by monkeys and apes in the books that we read. So she would always be pointing at their hands and feet, especially, and saying, that looks like Elsa. Like she was so little, she was still speaking in third person. And I thought, wow, there's really something there. Like even at a young age, we recognize the comparisons between ourselves and apes. And so then I wrote a song about that. And then she was so fascinated by this. We were looking up images and I thought she was really tiny and I didn't want some weird Planet of the Ape images to come up. So I typed monkeys, apes, Jane Goodall. I thought, oh, that'll be very safe and kind and wonderful. And it was. We started looking. She was on my lap and we were looking at the pictures of Jane Goodall. And you know the one where she's in Gombe, she's young, she's squatting down, she's reaching her hand out to this baby ape. And it's just such a moving picture. Immediately, I said, Elsa, we have to write a song for Jane. 
And so then I spent like afternoon after afternoon after afternoon on my porch while she was sleeping. She was a better sleeper than the first one. And researched Jane Goodall's life and wrote a song about her. And then that song eventually reached her. Some scientists from Duke helped me find her. It's a long story. But I ended up playing that for her at a, an event here that was a fundraiser here. And we have become connected. She's just very lovely. I met her in D.C. for another event. So that was so rewarding that I thought back a couple of years ago when I thought I really need to turn off the news and mm. focus on something I want more of. Mm -hmm. I would like to write songs about other people that really inspire me. So I first wrote about Wangari Maathai, the woman who recreated the Green Belt in Kenya. She got the Nobel Peace Prize kind of recently. She's not with us anymore, but she was very powerful. So I watched all the video I could of her. She's so, so strong that the music that came out was almost too strong. Like I had to take away bass notes and the bass pattern that I had in the left hand so it would be more palatable for listening. She's, anyway, incredible person. So I wrote that song, and it's called Iwangari. Very simple, like kind of like almost like, I don't know, what came out was just like nothing I'd written before. Very simple lyrics, strong rhythm. And these Nobel Peace Laureates, they have their idea that they promote and they say the same thing over and over it's a really powerful thing to note they really stick to their meaning in life and so that's what I did with the song it was such a powerful experience I thought wow could I do more of this well around the same time I met a person through the classical world whose father is a Nobel Peace Laureate and he's the person who's actually speaking on the album and worked mm. with us his name is Muhammad Yunus he created the Grameen Bank which is the first and most successful example of microlending. Mm, so yeah. this is mm -hmm. turning into a very long conversation. But <laughs> if I could focus, I would say, look him up because he's so inspiring. So I wrote, I studied his life, and I wrote a much more detailed song about how he came to do what he did. His childhood was very just beautiful images. I don't know if it's because it's a culture different from my own. I don't know. But it was just his mother made jewelry and sold it to give money to their family members. Just this amazing witness that he had to the power of generosity through his mother. And I wrote his song. I sent it through his daughter, Monica, whom I had met through the classical world. She's an opera singer. And... He said, yes, I want to be part of this. So from that point, we together worked on this album to try to bring the messages of, well, I just thought, okay, let me try to find the best songs possible. And what turned out to work the best was to write from their points of view, basically their philosophies. Not everybody had a life story that would work. I mean, you could, he lived on a farm and he planted peanuts. I mean, no, no. <laughs> So That's I did the not. Jimmy Carter song. I did not write about Jimmy's history. I tried. I read a lot of stuff. I read his mother's <laughs> book. I watched his mom, you know, getting interviewed by Johnny Carson. But really, for him, I sat there and said, "If Jimmy Carter wrote a song, what would he write?" And so I wrote his philosophy into song, and that is called a kinder way. And that's probably leading me to say the most moving thing that has come out of this yet. This album came out in September, so it's still very fresh, but I was invited to sing for him the song that I wrote for him, and Rosalind sat on my left, he sat on my right. It was just beyond moving. He is more than I ever imagined. His kindness and his ability to connect, I mean, just looking in his eyes and singing the song, and he really responded, like he really noticed that it was his ideas. And 
he really smiled when I referenced him holding a hammer, you know, with the, in reference to the Habitat for Humanity. Literally, when you see him holding a hammer in a photo, he's ebullient. And so that was in the bridge. And so you can hear in my inflections, it felt like a huge responsibility to actually write their real ideas into the songs. Like you can't just flippantly do that. So it's probably the deepest research I've ever done for songs, but so worth it. Yeah. So, I mean, geez, how are you going to follow that one up? <laughs> More poop songs, please. Seriously, I totally have to swing the pendulum yeah. and do something lighter. Yes. So I'm working on that. But yeah, I agree with you. It's funny. Like, I love doing that meaningful work, but we do have to balance out. It was exhausting in a great yeah. way, but I do need a break from that serious research and dedication. Definitely. And, you know, poop songs are the money makers. So <laughs> that's very Just true. Go, go right back to it's very true. I should <laughs> write well. this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when I went and did an interview on the day that it was out, we did laugh about from poop to peace. You know, that's just the <laughs> life of a children's songwriter. Yeah. We swing from one end to the other. Yeah. I like that. Well, I feel like that's a good place to stop from poop to peace. So Lori Henriquez, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. That was Guest Girl Vocalist by Kinski. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to the future of what? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to writer Adrian So. 
Welcome, Adrian, to the future of what? Hi, thank you for having me. So nice to be looking you in the face. <laughs> I always like to see guests. So the reason I had you in today is because we are doing an episode on kids music. And you had just written something in Wired. The title is Amazon Echo Dot Kids Edition. This is your review of that product. And what I thought was really interesting about it, I mean, I like the article in general, but what I really thought was interesting is that it kind of didn't work out for your family. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't really what I was expecting, like technical difficulties with like the Echo not understanding my, at the time, three-year-old. It understood her pretty well. But it just didn't really hit at the basics of how kids interact with other people or authority figures or. Right. Which is so interesting. What I did think was relevant to our topic is that it sounded like your daughter was able to ask it to play music. Yeah, we turned it on. And the first thing she did was request that it play Let It Go from Frozen, the theme song of <laughs> preschool. 1,000 times. <laughs> 1,000 times in a row. And it's all there in the like Amazon log, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Amazon, Alexa, you're a butt. Alexa, play Let It Go. Alexa, yeah. you're a butt. Play Let It Go. That sounds like what my eight-and-a-half-year-old boy would tell Alexa pretty much. Like, I think eight-and-a-half-year-old boys are on the same level as three-year-old girls, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> he also requests Let It Go. Or Alexa, you're a butt. Like, <laughs> like play songs about butts. Like, you know, that sort of thing. That's yeah. Really, yeah. But I think that's really interesting. So I think the part of these smart speakers, because there's been, you know, some research done, not a ton, but the research that's been done shows that kids are interacting with smart speakers a lot more than I think adults thought they would in the beginning. I don't think anyone necessarily was really planning on the power of like having something in your house that a child could make do something. Because especially with small kids, I think they're really excited when they have any agency at all. So to make something like talk or sing or play a song gets really exciting for some kids. They're just like, they make it do it all the time. Yeah, it is. We've actually taken precautions. I think I mentioned that in the piece that we've actually been having this argument a lot lately about why our dots aren't plugged in most of the time, why a lot of things are disabled. Just this morning, my four-year-old was like, why is Alexa so stupid? And I was like, I did that on purpose. Mommy made, <laughs> mommy made Alexa stupid. <laughs> I don't want you to talk to Alexa instead of me. Right. So yeah, I think that's something that is pretty common among the parents at Wired. And it's kind of funny, the more tech savvy the parent, the more they're inclined to try to keep a lot of this stuff away from their kids. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And of yeah. course, you know, there's lots of examples. I mean, my husband is like a gadget guy. So we got one dot or echo or whatever we got. And then we mm -hmm. got another one for upstairs. And then we got another one for, you know, suddenly we have just, they're everywhere. And they're mostly on all the time because he's really forgetful. So he sets a zillion reminders. Mm -hmm. So like at any moment of the day, there could be like this, Ding, like take your pill or whatever oh, wow. <laughs> thing that happens throughout my house. But you would think with that environment that my son would be talking to it all the time. Mm -hmm. And he really doesn't. Oh, wow. Which is kind of shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Like he actually prefers to interact with the adults rather than the Echo. And sometimes I think, wouldn't it be nice to just go talk to the Echo like, <laughs> so that I can wash some dishes or something? But yeah, he doesn't prefer it, which is weird. But when he does use it, it's mostly music. And also he'll hear something at school and he'll come home and he'll try to find it on the Alexa, which is really interesting. Yeah. One of the reasons why I unplugged the Alexas in different rooms was because my daughter was really fond of a children's book with a character named Alexi. And that was like way too confusing. And like, oh, who's talking? 
Like, <laughs> so you kind of have to watch out for that with dots in uh, different rooms. And also one of my coworkers actually was at a party and had a dot and then she didn't tell anyone what was there and then just started replaying everyone's conversations <gasps> back to them 90 minutes after it had played. And she was just like, it's all there. Wow. So, you know, so it's that kind of thing is like makes me kind of cautious about keeping smart speakers around my children that often because I mean, even with the dot for kids, like it records all of their logs. And if I didn't delete it, like she'd be able to look up like 30 years from now that she had played Let It Go from eight. I mean, she, might, <laughs> she might think that's really cool, but I don't want her to have. I mean, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want a device to remember everything that I had done or asked it from ages like eight to 13. So, oh my God. But the, of course, the terrible part is like, what if you end up with a kid who does like that? She'll be <laughs> that kind of kid. She'll be like, what? I had an audio diary of my life and you got rid of it. I know. You and mean, I take a picture. Mom. I know. I took pictures of 3,000 different breakfasts. This yes, is amazing. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I think. The thing that also was really surprising to me, even so young, was that my three-year-old was able to immediately distinguish between a smart speaker and a human. She was like, mommy, can Alexa make me feel better? Like, I'm sad. Can Alexa make me feel happy? And it's like, no, she can't. And at that point, like, it just, I mean, it didn't require any further explanation. It was just like, oh, Alexa can't offer me emotional support. So she kind of ignored it. I mean, yeah, I think I wrote that... It was about as unthinkable for her to ask Alexa, like, Alexa, I'm bored. Alexa, I need emotional support. That was just about as unthinkable in her mind as like trying to hug our dishwasher or trying to yeah. hug our microwave. Like at that, that a, point. That was a good line. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, it's just another appliance at this point. So, totally. Yeah. And I think you're totally right about that. And I've, I've found that, you know, it's like, and we don't have the restriction on it because we just never found that we needed it. Like mm -hmm. he never, he doesn't try to interact with the device. Oh, nice. He would much rather interact with us. I mean, we talk back mm -hmm. and we give him feedback. And I think that's way more interesting. I mean, even jokes, like my mm -hmm. husband will ask Alexa to tell us jokes. Mm -hmm. But even still, it's like my son doesn't then start asking Alexa to tell us jokes. You know, it's like he doesn't see that as the source. It's like dad is still the source of that entertainment yeah. or that entertaining idea, not the computer, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I think who isn't to say that they're not going to invent an algorithm that can do this eventually. But like this morning, my daughter asked me about like the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, and we could have asked Alexa you know, like, what does the Hubble Space Telescope do? But that's not what she really wanted to know. We wanted to, like, look at pictures of different nebula or, like, and it's a little, I mean, if you think about it, you don't send your kid to a classroom with a voice assistant and a tablet and expect them to pick things up by, I mean, any more than you send a kid to college to learn by looking at a PowerPoint. Like, it's just right. a totally different interactive experience with a parent than... So, I'm, so basically, we're not going to be replaced by smart speakers anytime soon. Not anytime hopefully. soon. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the, sort of the other angle of this is how parents use smart speakers for their children mm -hmm. and like in the process of being a parent. So one of the people we spoke to for this episode is a musician. She writes children's music, but she talked about how she started writing children's music specifically because when she had a baby, she found that if you asked the smart speaker to play classical music, it would play like some nice piece. And then all of a sudden it would be like, bum, bum, bum. Oh, no. <laughs> and the kid would be like, ah, you know, so her point was like, there wasn't music out there that was like all sort of one level that was like pleasant and that would like keep a child asleep as opposed to oh, wow. if you just played Mozart, like it's great mm -hmm. for the first couple movements. And then all of a sudden there's like some huge, you know, whatever they call that, <laughs> you know, loud. Yeah, There's a loud, percussive yes, thing. a big percussive thing. 
So she actually started making that music so that it would exist. And, you know, we've talked to other people who write kids' music. And I think the way people parent with these devices is exactly that. Like, they want to give their kids some agency. You know, when they're young, they want them to stay asleep. And when they're older, they want to give them some agency and choices, but within parameters, right? Like, Mm -hmm. kids bop only, let's say, Mm -hmm. or lullabies only, or whatever. And I feel like that's one place that this has been interestingly successful is in like parents of children, you know, parents using these devices in their children's lives specifically to play the kind of music that they feel is safe and good for kids. Yeah, I think that's true. Like one of the main things about being a parent who likes music is like, I really like interacting with my child with music because she really likes the kids bop playlists. But now that she's getting older, it's kind of nice to just be like, this is the clash. Like, do you like disco? Like that kind of like back and forth behavior with her is something that I think you kind of miss out on. I don't particularly feel the need to like make crafts with my kid, but music is one area that I really like interacting with her. And so, yeah, I don't want parents to kind of, I think before you set your kid out on a kid's bop playlist or something, just kind of think about what you're missing before you just play like kids bop, like greatest one <laughs> through three or something. It's kind of, yeah. That may just be like, you know, a music lover versus like a regular person. I think most yeah. people are regular people and they're just like, oh, good. My kid is listening to music that's appropriate for yeah, kids. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. You know, with families like ours, you know, it's like we pretty much play entirely 80s music and old school hip hop. Oh, nice. Like that's it pretty yeah. much in the house as a rule. And so he, of course, has gone completely the other direction and wants to listen to the all these contemporary songs that are things that his friends hear on Fortnite or weird stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know if Fortnite plays music, but whatever. I know he comes home from school humming a song and then tries to find it on the computer, which is awesome to watch because he totally can't find it. He has like no idea. He's like, he knows like two lyrics and mm-hmm. they ne- it never works out. Although he did once get the song he wanted by saying, Alexa, play Cheetah. That's amazing. No idea what that was. But then it started playing and he was like, yes, this is the song. That's amazing. See, that kind of thing. It's kind of fun. My daughter's four now. And like, it's kind of fun to start watching her develop, you know, like taste the music and it, you realize how much of it can't be derived from an algorithm and how much of it is like purely contextual and just like Alexa, like it doesn't really work when she says, Alexa, play princess music, play play music. And then right. I have to decipher that for her. And you know, like Dina Carter is princess music. Oh my, <laughs> what? <laughs> just like kind of like watching all these like crazy connections. Drawn, and that's totally true. You know, like there are so many different kinds of ways that parents bond with their children. And I'm just like, I'm not a crafts person, but I guess I'm a music person. So that's a fun thing to interact with her. Over. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it is fun to watch kids' tastes develop, even though they often develop in really scary ways. Like there's a song called Once I Was Seven Years Old. Mm-hmm. You heard that song? Oh, no. Oh, it's got to be one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. I'm sorry if the person who wrote it is listening. It's absolutely horrific. But I had to listen to that song for about, like, I would say four months straight. Like, he just loved, like, that's all he wanted to listen to. Mm -hmm. And he used to like to listen to music going to bed. Mm -hmm. So that's like at bedtime, I'd have to listen to that on repeat. Like we figured out how to make the Alexa do the repeat thing. Oh my gosh. That was horrific. But then we went through a phase where all he wanted to hear at bedtime was Ace of Spades by Motorhead. And then I felt (laughs) like I had done the right thing. Like I was a good parent. Yeah. Like when my daughter could identify Joy Division when she was three, I was just like, (laughs) there you go. Screwing up in so many ways. You have eaten nothing but peanut butter and jelly toast for four days, Mm -hmm. but you've done this one thing. It's the little things, man. I know. It's the little things that make parenting work. I understand like 
needing to feel like your content is like the kids are consuming things that are safe for them. But a lot of like real music is pretty safe and fun too. Like my daughter was obsessed. She and her best friend were obsessed with this 70s disco album by Bumblebee Unlimited. <laughs> and it was just like, this is from, this is completely perfect. I want to be your ladybug. <laughs> just oh, yeah, like swinging perfect. about like drinking nectar at the club with the ladybug club. And I was just like, this is, oh, that's awesome. You would think this had been written specifically for two three-year-olds like yeah, that should it, be like a little cartoon show too yeah That'd definitely be perfect. they probably the ladybug club that's a whole album and there's different kinds of like insects <laughs> that like are having fun in the club or something i don't know <laughs> yeah i i could ha- i could handle that for like oh 15 God. minutes at a time but they would just keep going wow yeah, yeah. it's incredible they mm-hmm. they have a lot more patience for that but i remember that from when i was a kid and when before mm-hmm. we had smart speakers and before we had any of this stuff that even if it was a cassette tape, like I remember my best friend's little sister would play this one song off a cassette tape and she'd have to rewind it after every, mm-hmm. oh my God, it was labor intensive, but, and it was just like, we couldn't get away from it. <laughs> it was horrible. But I do think that, you know, I do think it's interesting the way music is coming into our houses mm-hmm. with smart speakers and in kind of a, an easier way, like just like that. I mean, obviously kids are going to do it. If they love a song, they're going to rewind the cassette. Mm-hmm. But in this way, it's just so easy because you can just say, repeat, you know, yeah. or play the song and then, you know, on loop. Yeah. And then it'll just do what you want it to do. And and you can be a happy five-year-old or whatever. Yeah. And it is kind of fun, like the different connections, even if they're purely unintentional. Like my kid was asking for rainbow music this morning from Alexa and couldn't quite get it to understand. But what is rainbow music? Like, like does, does Baby Got Back make you feel like rainbows? Is that a rainbow song? Just seeing her interact with different media is kind of interesting. I think that's the thing that I tried to emphasize with that review too, is that a lot of this stuff isn't a substitute for like direct parent interaction. No matter how good the algorithm gets, you're still going to have to interpret some things for the smart speaker from your kid and vice versa, because their brains just work completely differently than totally. ours do. And they have a much more limited vocabulary, so they can only ask for certain things in certain ways mm-hmm. until they get more sophisticated. Yeah, it mean, would be fun having an eight-year-old and having somebody with like a bigger vocabulary and a bigger grasp of diction that yeah. uh, could ask for more sophisticated things. I mean, we got into like a 20-minute fight yesterday over the past tense of road, like of, ri- of riding. I wanted to say <laughs> rided. No, that's not right. <laughs> so, I mean, if we, I mean, we can't even get grammar right with interacting with humans. You might have to wait a year or two to, for her to figure out how to, to interact right. with a machine. Yeah. Hilarious. It's just, it's just crazy that Alexa, like, yeah, I felt like she was the appropriate age to interact with the dot because the dot says it's ages two to five. But I mean, my son's two right now and he can, I, I don't know, two seems a little young, but yeah. yeah. I don't think my son interacted with it at two at all. I yeah. mean, I think it took him quite a long time to interact with it, but it took him a long time to interact with everybody. He was like yeah. a really, really late talker. Mm-hmm. At what age would did you say that your son was really like starting to appreciate having Alexas and dots around the house? Probably seven huh. was when he started to really see it as something that he could play with and talk to and, and you know, get it to do things. Mm-hmm. He really likes getting it to do things for him, like, you know, play the song he wants or, you know, tell him the answer to something, which he also doesn't do very often. He really would rather mm-hmm. interact with the adults. I don't know why that is. It's just, a, it's just his personality, I think. 
Well, yeah. And it's also that they're looking for something. I don't know. My daughter's quite a bit younger, but like we had that experience too. Like her wanting to know about uh, the legend of Cassiopeia. Like I told her Cassiopeia was a queen and then she started trying to ask Alexa about the legend of Cassiopeia and Greek mythology or something. And it just kept pointing her down, like talking about squids. And she was just like, (laughs) oh, like, I don't know, like redirect. Or another time when she was like, name that jungle animal. And she just kept shouting, monkey, monkey, monkey. And then the correct answer is chimpanzee. And like just getting so. That's frustrating. Yeah, just getting really frustrated with it. So, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff can be improve i mean you could easily see where in five to ten years like you're not going to have those kinds of interactions with an alexa or with a with a smart speaker anymore but for now we've still got a little way to go definitely mm-hmm. well adrian so thank you so much for joining us today on the future of what yeah thank you and that's our show the music we played today was used by permission you heard filthy friends kinski and of course our theme song mind your own business by the delta five Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. <laughs>